Matthew 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to portray him. And this is God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we open your word. God, would you help us to be confronted where we need to be confronted, convicted where we need to be convicted, encouraged where we need encouragement. Lord, may you have your way for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When you love someone, you will often demonstrate that love in tangible ways, and sometimes in very strange ways. When you love someone, that means that you will often give yourself to certain things that you would just soon avoid otherwise. Think back to maybe your dating days when you would do some of the craziest things in your mind, but just to demonstrate your love for the person that you were pursuing. And even once you're married, it doesn't have to be a husband-wife relationship, it can certainly be a parent-child relationship or any relationship where you're demonstrating love. You think about the many ways that we do that. I mean, there are guys who will be towed around to the shopping center with their wives. And apparently, guys, you graduate at some point, you get to sit on a bench when you get a certain age as they carry that, that shopping task out. And that's, that's not for you guys below a certain age. I'm not going to define the certain age. I'll let you define the certain age. But just know that that bench is not for most of you guys in your 40s or younger, right? Ladies, you will often go to sporting events and find yourself screaming and yelling like some crazy person because of the love you have for your husband. What about the dads that get all giddy at a ballet recital? 
or the moms who bust a vein in their neck at the soccer field or the baseball field, rooting their kids on. I mean, we will do some of the craziest things to, as a demonstration of our love for someone else. Love is something that is indeed an action. It's active, and we, we demonstrate love. You can claim that you love someone all you want, but until you demonstrate that in, in activity or in action and behavior, you will not truly convince someone that you love them. In our text today, we see a committed love being expressed towards Jesus. That is not in the first five verses, but it's in the middle of this text. And this text, I believe, is, is structured in an intentional way by the gospel writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit. What you have here is not just this random string of events that seem disconnected, but rather a very intentional placement of these narratives to show a great contrast of those who hate and oppose Jesus versus that one here and the lady, Mary, who loves him. There's very clear intentionality of the placement of this account to show this contrast. You know, even as I think about this past week there, and, you know, as we try to, try to relate with our brothers and sisters at the Emmanuel AME Church. We can't perfectly do that because we weren't there, but I know, who one, I know of one who can. It was Jesus who was betrayed out of hatred for him. It was Jesus who was ultimately murdered and crucified because of the hatred of those who opposed him. Many differences between those situations, but we see the, the, the commonality here. We see the, the sharing of this experience, and Jesus can relate. One of the big differences is that Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. We'll see that later in this passage. And even in light of that, even in light of this plot, this, this scheme, this plan to kill Jesus, to, one of his own disciples to betray him even, we, we see some very important things that, that emerged from the first few verses. It says, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. There's sovereignty placed all over those first two verses. This is part of the plan. I've been telling you this all along. This is something that was even planned before the foundations of the world, and it's, it's going to happen. The disciples are still clueless. Then the chief priest and the elders, the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Friends, as you consider the scheming plan of the chief priest and the elders and even the betrayal of one of Jesus' own disciples, what we have sandwiched in between those two accounts is an amazing demonstration of generosity and love and worship and devotion from this lady we know as Mary. 
from the other gospel accounts. And so as we consider her, her devotion to Christ, as we observe her in this passage committing herself to Jesus in an unusual way, but nonetheless a, commit, a committed way, what we need to understand is that Mary is demonstrating a loyal and committed love that really should be the mark of all believers. And so, it causes us to ask the question, what made her love so extravagant? What made her, her, her love Jesus in this, this visible way? What was going on there in her heart? And as we consider those things this morning, I would encourage you and I would encourage me, I would encourage us together that we would consider our own hearts and our own devotion to Jesus, our own relationship to Him. Does our love overflow out of our hearts like it did in her life? What does this kind of love and devotion ultimately demonstrate and do? Let's look at several things together. When we love Jesus in the way that we see demonstrated through this lady, the first thing that we begin to see is that, that it would, it, this kind of love reveals our heart. It revealed the heart of, of Mary of Bethany. Now this scene here in, in verses 6 and following goes back a few days, sort of backtracking. Jesus is two days out from dying as you enter chapter 26. Now there's this scene that goes back a few days when Jesus had, had entered Bethany at, and was at the home of Simon the leper. Side sermon, Simon the leper. I mean, how many of you would go have dinner with someone called Simon the leper? Now, obviously, Jesus had healed him, or there would not have been this crowd at his house, and he would not have been home. And so he was a, a, a recipient of the compassionate generosity of Jesus who loved him enough to, to come and care for him and heal him and now he's given thanks and Jesus is joined there at this house having a meal with him. It's an amazing testimony to the generosity and kindness and grace of Christ. According to John's account, he was dining there with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus after raising Lazarus from the dead. There's all kinds of uncleanness present. You've got a dead man who's now alive. You've got a leper who's now cleansed. And Jesus is there in their midst. Oh, would we learn from Christ. It's at this meal that we're told here. She's not mentioned by name in this account, but we know that it's Mary. A woman comes to him with an alabaster flask of expensive ointment. And she pours it all on Jesus' head and when you combine the other accounts, we know that really it was his whole body that was being anointed here. Now, to anoint someone with oil was a common practice in this day. When, when someone was especially being honored as a guest in a particular special occasion, there would be an anointing, not at this level, but there would be some kind of anointing that would take place to say, you're our honored guest, especially during times of celebration. But what she does here is much greater than what was commonly practiced. You would have been in that day and you would have said, yes, we anoint people when they're our honored guests. But what she did was like extreme. This is over the top. The ointment or the oil, Mark tells us in his gospel, was worth 300 denarii. 
That means nothing to us, right? Well, let me just translate that for you. What that did was it equaled a year's wages. A year. A year's worth of income was used to purchase this oil. That's how expensive this oil was. And so the shock in the room you can, you can relate to, right? Especially you penny pinchers out there. You can, you can sense the, the shock and what in the world is this woman thinking? Even the anger as the disciples were indignant, the text tells us. What, were they, what was this woman thinking? To take and, and waste. What a waste, they say. Do you not know how much ministry could have been done with that amount of oil and you just doused Jesus with it? And then Jesus speaks. He says, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Now that may stand out to you, especially if you've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew with us, because back in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus actually says that ministering to the poor, especially poor believers, was part of the criteria of which one would be judged as whether or not they had true saving faith on Judgment Day. And now he's saying, you always have the poor. There's, there's opportunity for you to do that, but you not, you're not always going to have me. Is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction at all. He's rather emphasizing the importance of the moment. We clearly understand biblical instructions of how we're to care for the poor and reach out and serve them absolutely what's going on here is that mary is demonstrating her love for christ and she was more willing to spend this highly expensive oil on honoring christ than she was to keep it for herself again i'm sure the disciples were thinking okay you may have this expensive oil but Why don't you just use a little drop? Just use a little bit and and save the rest for crying out loud. Or maybe use a little bit and and put the rest elsewhere to use. Sell the rest of it. Look how many poor people could be ministered to. Friends, this this passage is not here as as a statement on what is and what isn't wise stewardship. You can can find that sort of there, but this is not the point of this text. We can go to dozens, if not hundreds, of other passages and find wise principles on stewardship and how we're to be wise and how we manage the resources that God has given us. By the way, side note, all of the things that you have, God owns that. just, Just remember that. It's God's. He's given that to you as a blessing, and so you are to be generous and kind and wise in your stewardship. That's not necessarily the point here. What is... The point here is is what he's addressing is through the service of Mary what the right response to him is. I'll just ask you a question. When it comes to treasuring Christ, how much is too much? Can you treasure him too much? I mean, are, are we going to get to heaven one day and stand before the Lord and say, you know what, I just gave you too much, Jesus. That's not how it's going to go. 
In fact, it'll be quite the opposite. How much is too much when it comes to treasuring Christ? And as she poured the oil on Jesus, it wasn't a demonstration of the oil as much as it was her pouring out her heart. She understood Jesus' place in her life and was willing to acknowledge it before others no matter what they thought of her. She could have cared less at that moment what the disciples and others in the room thought about her by pouring out this expensive perfume on Jesus. What captivated her at the moment was not the opinion of others, it was her value of Christ. She understood his place. She understood his value. And reminded, we can go on and on about this, but Matthew 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. She was pouring out her heart, demonstrating that towards Christ. Now, the disciples had made it clear that what she had done, at least in their mind, was wasteful. But Jesus makes it clear that what she had done was beautiful. So he received her gift and blessed her for it. And it's not, again, it, this is not a call to let's go spend our income and life savings and, and every penny we have on expensive oil and come, come pour it on each other when we, when we come to church. Or, or to, do, to do some kind of, of wasteful activity like that. This is not about that. The, the oil is, is, the, is just the, the manifestation, if you will, of what's true in her heart. The, the, the story here is about what's in Mary's heart, not about what's in her hand, necessarily. She was not operating by greed, like Judas was. She was being generous, because she knew the value of Christ, and the value of His presence in her life. Friend, I just ask you, do you truly know the worth and value of Jesus Christ. Do you really get that? I don't have to ask you to, to voice that to me this morning because what you do with your life will demonstrate how valuable Jesus is to you. Sometimes we treat Jesus as if he's worth so little. And what she does here is revealing her heart. We should look into our hearts and we should evaluate and determine just at what level does Christ rise to in, in our lives? How valuable is He to you? Is He that one you just sing about and, and, and think about on, on Sundays? Or is he truly the treasure of your soul? The second observation we see about this love is that it leads us to action. Mary was demonstrating an act of service and devotion, worship, if you will. So that's kind of a weird way to worship. Well, that's what she was doing. She was, she was showing how much worth. She was ascribing worth to Jesus. That's what we do in worship. We're ascribing worth to Christ, not because he doesn't have worth, but because he is worthy and because he has, has all that we could ever find in, in the truth of who he is. When you give yourself in selfless, selfless, lavish devotion to Christ, 
the world will call you a fool. And many in the church may call you misguided. But friend, I'll remind you, it's, it's the only the opinion of Christ that matters. The disciples said, you're foolish. You're misguided. You're wasting. And Jesus said, it's beautiful. How often we are prone to withhold because we're more concerned with the presence of the disciples in the room or we're more concerned with the world around us than we are with the living Christ living in us. And how foolish is that? Mary was not a bit concerned with what the disciples thought. She was not a bit concerned with what others would say. Friend, you cannot give Jesus too much. You will never waste time, resources, energy, whatever it is that you give to Christ with true motives out of your heart. You will never waste a thing on Christ if you are doing so from a heart compelled by love for Him. Have you ever purchased something? Have you ever, have you ever purchased something that, that later on you regretted purchasing? You were like, that was a waste of money. Now, I could give you hundreds of, of those examples, I'm sure. But a couple of years ago, we decided that it would be wise for us to buy our kids a trampoline. Now, a little side note, we didn't use our money. We used grandparents' money that they'd given them. We just sort of accumulated it. And we bought the trampoline and we put it up in, in our backyard like any parent with rambunctious kids do. Well, it wasn't six months that went by until we were literally carrying Colin with arm broken in two, literally, sorry if you have a weak stomach, into the hospital to, to have his arm surgically repaired because he fell off the trampoline and broke his arm terribly. Some of you remember that. You walked with us through that, and we appreciate that. He's okay today. He's back in the baseball mode right now and very active. But, but, you know, that trampoline, it didn't end up costing us $200 or whatever it was. It ended up costing thousands of dollars when you add the medical bills and my speeding ticket that I've talked about before. It's thousands of dollars that thing cost. And, and that thing today is disassembled, sitting under my deck. If any one of you wants it, it's free of charge. You can come today and get I will help you load it. I regret buying it, not because that I'm mean to my kids, but because of the harm it brought. You can say, well, it wasn't the trampoline's fault. It was maybe a little rambunctious. Well, that's a debate for another day. If I knew, though, what I know now, I would have never bought the trampoline. I wouldn't have. And yes, we had a net. It just wasn't zipped. That's, and he found that one hole. God's sovereign, right? Amen. You know, if, if Matthew 25 happened right now, you say we're in 26, yes, if Matthew 25, final judgment, if that happened right now and we stood before the judgment seat of Christ, I wonder how many of us would have significant regrets not because of how much we wasted on Christ, 
but because of how much we held back from him. And it should lead you to consider several things because love is indeed demonstrated through our actions. Love is, is demonstrated through the things that we do. Just think about your giving. Now, I don't talk a lot about financial things, but, but when I do, the, the Scripture's clear that what you purchase and, and the way that you give and steward the money God has given you, even in the church, is a reflection of your heart. Reveals where your treasure truly is. You're serving. Love is demonstrated through action. How you serve within the body of Christ and how you serve your neighbor and how you reach out to others and even the, the poor among us. The poor in our world and how you care for and how you show generosity and kindness to such people is a reflection of how much you love Christ. Loving God and loving neighbor are the two greatest commandments, right? Love God, love others. Your love for others is a reflection of how much you truly love God. How you serve demonstrates how much you love. Or how much you do not serve demonstrates how much you do not serve. Your ministry. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you've been called to serve. You've been called to minister to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, your co-workers, the body of Christ. If you're just one of those leech Christians that just come and just, just take and not give, I would question. I would question how much you love Jesus. I'm not talking about your physical ability. Some of us are physically limited in what you, we can do. And we're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about your heart, how much you give to others, how much you serve the body of Christ, how much you reach out to, to unbelievers as a demonstration of how much you truly value Christ. Mary was seeking to honor Christ. And she was demonstrating outwardly what she felt inwardly. Now I want you to consider something here. You can be outwardly committed to the Lord, quote unquote, without a true heart for Christ. It's called legalism. There are people every day that are outwardly trying to prove themselves to God in some kind of outward behavior, and they, they think that that's what true religion is. That, 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 that's what they define Christianity as, is a rule list of do's and don'ts, and they are doing, 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 and there's no heart there for Jesus. You can fool us all, but you'll never fool the Lord. You can fool us all. You can be outwardly committed and have no true heart for Christ. It's a scary thing. But... You cannot have a true heart for Christ and not be outwardly committed to him. Say it another way. If you have a true heart for Jesus, you will be outwardly committed to him in some visibly tangible way. Love is demonstrated through our action. It leads us to action. And number three, it's marked by gratitude. When Jesus rebukes the disciples, he says to them, later in the text, they're throwing the fit there and early on in verses 8. Jesus, aware of this, verse 10, says to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And look at verse 12. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me 
for burial. She's done it to prepare me for burial. That's an interesting statement. Now, there are some who suggest that Mary didn't fully understand or realize what this next week would bring, that Jesus was about to be crucified, that she didn't have all those details. She didn't know exactly what she was doing, even though Jesus brings that out here. And I would say that is possible. God has and God does bring about his purposes through people even when they don't realize the full impact of what's going on. He's sovereign. He can do that. However, it is also possible, and I would say highly likely, that she did have a good idea that Jesus was soon to give his life. It could be argued that Mary was one of Jesus' best listeners because you remember back in Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha, Martha was running around the kitchen like Aunt B. Yep, some of you got that and some of you didn't. She was, she was a busy thing, running around, trying to, to do all of this, and who was, who was it that was sitting at Jesus' feet just absorbing? It was Mary, the same lady, now anointing Jesus' body with this expensive oil. She might not have known all of the details, but it is quite reasonable, and I would say likely to conclude, based upon her listening to Jesus, that she understood his time was short. And she, while he was still present in physical form in her midst, wanted to demonstrate her devotion and commitment to Christ. She's thankful. She's thankful for him now, and she's thankful, I believe, for what he's about to go do. Now, we should consider the disciples' response for a moment, because they can be easy targets for us, when in reality most of us would have been saying the same thing. To their credit, they at least... Whether or not they had the right motive, that's a different issue. They at least had their eye towards the poor and the needy and the suffering and the struggling. I don't think they had the right motive, but at least they were were thinking about that. I mean, how many of us would have had the gumption to, to, to rebuke her and say, look what ministry could have been done to serve others? Our story would have gone something like this. Just, just think about how much of that could have gone towards a building. A permanent location. Just think how we, we could have bought a new drum set or a better keyboard with that money. Better microphones. A better pulpit, even though mine has a drink holder. We, we, we would justify expense after expense. We would have even probably provided quality cut steaks for our next church picnic, free of charge to you. We could have done that. At least the disciples were conscious of the poor and needy. I, I would wonder how many of us would have even had that response. And Jesus affirms that. He says it is proper to do that. Right now you have me in your midst and you're going to always have the poor. You should serve them. You should reach out to them. But right now it's appropriate for you to do, Mary, what she, what she had done. 
The problem with the disciples, though, is their concern does not seem to be rooted in their understanding of Christ's love for them and their love for him at the moment. Whereas Mary had that understanding at some level. She was extremely grateful for Jesus and for what he was about to do. Friend, when we truly grasp the glory and grace of Jesus, listen, there is no gift or sacrifice too great. And get this, Mary did what she did on the other side of the cross, still looking forward. Crucifixion, resurrection hadn't happened yet, and she's pouring herself out on Jesus in this way. Friend, how much more this side of the cross, how much more this side of the crucifixion of Jesus and the glorious resurrection of our living Savior ought we to be humbled with gratitude before him? She's looking forward to this, and we have now have it in, in God's completed revelation that he's given us. We have all the details. Yes, he's, he's coming again. We don't have that yet, but it's coming, and Christ will return and gather us to himself and, and make all things new, and all will be eternally well if you're in Christ. She had not yet gazed upon that horrific scene on Calvary and seen the blood flowing down for her forgiveness. She had not yet been to the empty tomb. It hadn't happened yet. And she is so thankful. She is so grateful for what Jesus had done, or or not had done, but was going to do for her. She may not have had it all figured out, but she was grateful. Friend, we have it all figured out for us. How much more? ought we to demonstrate our thankfulness to God? Hebrews 12, verse 28 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Friends, I think too often we offer God unacceptable worship with a yawn, not acceptable worship, with awe. And is it, maybe you're here today and you just need to be reminded of how glorious Christ is, how valuable he is, how worthy he is, how amazing he is, how, how triumphant he is. What makes this story so amazing is how it stands in such contrast to verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. From that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. What a contrast. Mary, an outsider. Judas, an insider. Mary, Motivated by love, Judas motivated by greed. Mary giving all she could, Judas taking all he could. And Judas was a disciple. 
He had walked with Jesus for three years. He had sat under his teaching. He had observed all of the miraculous things that Jesus did. And he betrayed him. Friend, let that be a warning to you and to me that proximity to Jesus does not guarantee anything. Proximity to Jesus does not always guarantee a genuine heart for Jesus. In fact, the closer you are in proximity to him, the more you ought to be guarding your heart and aware of what's going on. Mary here reveals that Jesus was indeed her greatest treasure, while Judas revealed that his treasure was found elsewhere. Friend, what about you? Do you truly love the risen Christ? If so, your love and your devotion will reveal your heart, it will lead you to action, and it will be marked by gratitude. You may be here today, and, and, and you may be here in, in your heart of hearts, you would admit, maybe not to any of us in this room, but you would admit that you don't love Jesus. You'd be one of those that said, that was a waste. In fact, I wouldn't have even been at the meal. What a waste of time. Friend, the Bible tells us in John chapter 15, verse 13, that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. God is a holy and righteous God, and we are ungodly, unworthy sinners that deserve his judgment. And God so loved us that he gave his one and only perfect son, the Lord Jesus, that whoever would believe in him and place their hope in him and trust in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He's done that for you. If you would simply look to him and trust in him, you would be saved. And his love for you would then ignite in you a love for him. If you don't love Jesus, friend, it is not because... It is not because of anything else except you have no idea who God is and how much he has sacrificed for you. And turn to Christ today. Your love can be ignited by his grace and his grace alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the hope that we find in Christ. Lord, thank you for this lady. Lord, we're told that, that what she did would be told throughout the years as a testimony to her, as a, as a witness. And Father, it's, it's, it's a testimony in our midst today. It's what she did is a demonstration of what our true response to your gospel should be. She was grateful and she was devoted and she loved you. Father, would you search our hearts today and would you help us to see whether or not we do the same? Lord, it doesn't matter how long we've been in church. It doesn't matter how long we've called ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you search our hearts right now and help us to see whether or not we truly treasure and value Jesus more than anyone or anything else. And Father, if we If we find ourselves placing more value in other things, or even other people, would you convict us of that? Lord, that is idolatry. 
Would you convict us and help us to be changed by your Holy Spirit? Would you lead us to repentance and would you lead us to confession? Would you lead us to, to be changed that, that we would truly see you for who you are and for what you've done? And that our hearts would be compelled and gripped by your glorious love for us and that we would love you and treasure you and value you more than anything else on this, on this earth. Father, there may be some here this morning that they they don't even know what it's like to love you. They've never tasted that, that satisfaction of knowing Christ, of having their sins forgiven, of having a, been adopted into your family, of being clothed in righteousness, of being given an eternity of glory. They don't know what that's like. Lord, would you... Would you open their eyes today? Would you remove that hard heart that's in them and help them to be flooded by your mercy and grace? Would you humble them, Lord, so that they would truly know your saving grace? That they could begin to love you and treasure you. Father, you know our hearts. You know what it is we value most. Change us all that that would be you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.